If you have your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to open to Malachi chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 6 this morning. Uh, last week, we began a new series through this book of Malachi, that little prophet at the very end of the Old Testament called Return to Me. And you might remember if you were here last week that I kind of framed it up as this idea of a conversation between God and Israel, kind of this Q&A, this question and answer with God, that God will make a statement and the people of Israel will question him on that or, or bring some charge to, it about, uh, uh, to him about that. Uh, and God will respond in kind uh, and, and kind of go back and forth in this conversation. And each week, as a part of this, uh, our sermon will be uh, centered around one of these questions. Last week, we looked at the question of, how have you loved us? Last week, God, in an effort to reaffirm his love for his people, despite their difficult circumstances, told them, I have loved you. But Israel is not exactly feeling the love. They, they look around at their circumstances Jerusalem had been destroyed. Some of their neighbors had never come back home. Uh, the temple, God's presence among them, is but a mere shadow of its former glory. And as they return from this exile that was a result of their sin and idolatry, they're looking around and thinking, is this what your love looks like, God? How have you loved us? And so God reaffirms them of his love for them by reminding them and reaffirming for them their future. He says, you are, you are still here and I am still your God. That I've still promised and covenant with you to be your God throughout thick and thin. And so we turn to a new question this morning. But before we get to that question, uh, I want to have Bill come up here for just a minute. Um, and I want to have Bill come up because this is uh, the, the final day of uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. And Bill is, is one of our, our uh, elders and also, you know, does a great job up here leading us in worship. And so I just, I had a, a small token of appreciation for you. Um, it's a, a box of uh, Ferrero Rocher chocolates, um, but there are some missing. Yeah. Uh, I would love to blame my children, but I just, I, I just can't resist these. Would you just hold that for me? I just, uh -oh. I just, yeah. These are these are really good. I don't know if you've had these before. Okay. Uh, your apple. Drink. I think there's some <laughs> uh, hazelnut in there. It just gives it a nice, yeah, like, yeah. nutty. Wait, let me yeah. just. I'll keep one of these for later. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I I tell you what. Let me. They, they are good, aren't they? Yeah, I appreciate. Um, I feel appreciated. I'm, I'm a here. You know what? This was just simple. Here, you oh, take Oh, those, oh great. Thank I'll you. Just, yes. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate <laughs> okay, that. Okay, all right. Well, I appreciate um, your thoughtfulness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait, wait. You, you forgot to. Oh, that, oh, forgot oh, right. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Can we hear it for Bill? <laughs> uh -huh. we, I got these. <laughs> we, just, we just appreciate him so much, don't we? Now, I did tell Bill that I was going to mess with him a little bit. Uh, this morning, but the question this morning is this question of how have we insulted you? God brings this charge against the, I still have chocolate in my mouth. God brings this charge against the religious leaders of the day, the priests, for not giving him the honor that he deserves. It, it, like a box of half-eaten chocolates, uh, they have been offering to God sacrifices that are half-hearted and insufficient. Verse 6 says it this way. It says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. 
If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Or in other words, how have we insulted you? Now imagine if God said to you specifically, you heard his audible voice and he said, you have insulted me. You have, you have disrespected my name. You have disrespected my honor. What would you say? You would say, God, I am, I am so sorry. You know, please, please forgive me. You would repent and seek to do things differently. But that's not quite the reaction we see here. They say, you know, how have we shown contempt for your name? And that looks kind of like an honest question of, God, how can we... We make this right, but that's not quite what's happening. Like we saw last week, there's some, some indignation behind this question. Uh, one of my sons, who will remain nameless, uh, when asked to say sorry, will sometimes give a sorry. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the, the apologies there, but the heart's not behind it. And so verse 7, he continues, uh, and how they've insulted, how they've cont- shown contempt for his name. He says, by offering defiled foods on my altar... But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? You see, in the Old Testament, God allowed for atonement, for forgiveness, to happen through the sacrifices of animals. We saw this in the book of Hebrews that we just finished studying, and we know that ultimately this sacrificial system is fulfilling the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. But it was these priests' responsibility to watch over and administer these animal sacrifices to allow for the forgiveness of the people. But of course, to be a sacrifice, by definition, it has to cost something. And so God required an animal that was free from defect. That if this animal were to be the, the, the sacrifice for sin, then it had to be spotless, it had to be blameless, it had to be faultless. Now, for them, they would think, well, this, 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 to sacrifice this, this, this nice animal just seems like such a waste. And so they would do things like, well, I, I've got this gimpy little goat that, that's not going to sell for much, and so I'll give him to God. Or we've got this really old, worn-out heifer that's not really much use anymore. So here you go, God. Like that half-eaten box of chocolates, the sentiment is there, but the honor is not. Deuteronomy 17.1 specifically forbids this when God said, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep which has a blemish or any defect, for this is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. But the priests have been doing exactly what God has instructed them not to do, whether by their own merit of swapping out animals or allowing uh, lame animals sacrificed by the people. They've been offering blind and diseased animals rather than offer their best to God. And I think that the offense of this issue really kind of goes back to last week. You know, when God affirms his love for Israel, he says, I have chosen you and I have stood by you. And I have rescued you and protected you, and I have disciplined you and restored you, and and I have loved you. And as a response to all of that, rather than giving me your best, you give me the leftovers. You see, the, the thing is, 
we know that this would never fly when it comes to our human relationships. I mean, men, just picture uh, you're married and, and have kids and your wife, you know, she's spent years taking care of the kids and, and keeping the house running and cooking for you and caring for you and loving you. And as an appreciation gift, you know, one day for Mother's Day or for her birthday, you, you give her an old vacuum that you found at a garage sale. You know, that's just not going to work very well. God is saying, you know, would you give your, your boss a half-eaten cake on boss's day? You know, of course not. You know, there's this kind of double standard here, and it's that that really got me wondering. And maybe the main question of this whole section is, why were these priests, why were these religious leaders doing things that they willingly and, and knowingly know to be wrong in their act of worship? Why would these men who have been tasked with offering these sacrifices in a way that are pleasing to God willingly and willfully doing the wrong thing? And I know that every heart has the propensity to do wrong and to take shortcuts. All all of us have moments when we know what God asks of us and we willingly do the opposite. And so maybe the priests are just willfully disobedient, that they're, they're lazy or corrupt. As a minister, I know that I don't always do the right thing, but I always try to do what is right. And so what could be at work here to lead these priests to knowingly and willfully disobey what God has called them to do? I think it goes deeper than just to to breaking a rule or breaking a law. God's main beef with them is not that they're offering up bad beef. And I think Malachi gives us some clue as to the heart of the issue. Because the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. As he always does, God deals with the heart. The issue with the heart of these religious leaders is that the rituals they're doing have lost their meaning. They go through the motions, but they have not committed themselves to truly pursuing what God desires. They don't offer their best, but rather they sacrifice what costs them almost nothing and is of little use to them. They offer diseased and sickly animals, and that reveals the nature of their hearts that have likely become sickly and diseased. And so I think the question posed for all of us that we must ask all of us ourselves in, the, in view of these verses is, are we too simply just going through the motions? When it comes to our worship, the ways that we connect with God, are we generally engaged at a heart level or, or just letting ritual play out? Are we offering our best, or are we offering what is convenient? Here's what's at stake, verse 9. says, Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat 
who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. You see, nestled within these warnings that God pronounces, I think, is the main issue when it comes to going through the motions of worship. Verse 13, he says, And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously. Some of your translations might say, what a weariness this is. The religious leaders are looking at their ministries and they're saying, I am just so tired of it. This word sniff that is a word in Hebrew that can also mean blow or to heave aside. When these religious leaders think of their duties, they say, And I have to be honest that this one kind of hit home for me. Because sometimes ministry is wearisome. And I don't just mean being tired. We've all experienced that. But there have been times over the years where I have been guilty of treating ministry as a wearisome burden. Moments over the years where I'll go to a conference or go home to visit and people say, how, how are things? And What I've found, though, is in those seasons where ministry is at its most wearisome are those times where I've been focused on the wrong things. When the attendance or offering is lower than I want it to be, or when sermons don't seem to hit the mark and feel like I'm failing to leave a lasting impact. When you're short on volunteers but big on needs, or when criticisms become louder than the complaints. And I would say in those seasons of weariness and, and, and burdens, I, I, I would love to say that I, I recognize the issue and I, and I return to God, I turn back to Him in repentance. But more often than not, what happens is I become like these priests in Malachi. I go through the motions rather than engaging in genuine worship. It becomes easier to critique than to change. Easier to give less than my best than to pour it all out. Easier to pick up my pride than it is to pick up a cross. And so if I was just preaching this sermon to myself, then that would be enough. But I would venture to guess that I'm not alone in this. I'm guessing that all of us engaged in kingdom service have felt something like this at least at one point sometime before. And we can become cynical rather than celebratory. We can become entitled rather than grateful. We can become externally driven rather than spirit-led. And pretty soon we might not be offering up gimpy animals, but we're offering up a lifeless spirit of worship. And what I find most alarming about all of this is God's remedy for it, and how he fixes it. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. You see, when God sees his people just going through the motions, he says, I would rather you shut the doors of the church than continue in useless and empty worship. You see, God doesn't need us to thrive. God doesn't need us to be God. He, he is God all by himself in, Trinity, in Trinitarian form. He exists without us. And so God says, you could shut up the temple doors and never sacrifice another thing, and my name will still be great among the nations. God doesn't need us. 
We need Him. And we get the privilege, not the obligation, of worshiping Him. God offers us the ability to partner with Him in His mission and to pour forth praise because of the ways that He has blessed us. And if we ever get that backwards, God said, it would be better to leave the building and lock the doors behind you. And so are we just going through the motions in our worship? Are we just showing up on Sundays and singing a few songs and listening to a sermon, or are we coming to honor the King? Are we keeping for ourselves what is best and offering what is convenient? Are are we giving of our very best to God? Are we weary in our service to Him? Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, we have something so much more valuable to offer than sheep and goats. We have the opportunity to sacrifice our very lives to God. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. You see, true worship is offering up our very lives on the altar to sacrifice everything that we have and everything we are for Him because He has sacrificed His all for us. When God gave and chose a sacrifice for us, He didn't give us the leftovers. He didn't give us something that was of very little use to Him. He gave us Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. He gave us His very best. Jesus, the perfect Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus, who despite being the creator of everything, would step down into the mess that we created of his creation and to save us in it. Jesus, who instead of condemning us, endured our death so that we could live. You see, when it came to the sacrifices in Malachi's day, the priests were saying, surely it makes better sense to burn the damaged animals and and to save the good ones, doesn't it? We're not rich people. The Lord understands our our situation, doesn't he? It's it's better to offer blemished animals than none at all, isn't it? I mean, come on, God, we're trying to make worship more convenient and affordable for the worshipers. But God says, you're dishonoring me. So how will we give to God? Will we give out of convenience or will we give out of conviction? The convenience church says, I will serve or I will give or I will offer when I have extra. The convicted church says, I will pour out everything and I will give it everything I've got. The convenient church says, well, I'll do something when I'm passionate about it. But the convicted church says, this is what my king has called me to do whether I'm passionate about it or not. The convenient church says, we'll go through the motions. And the convicted church says, we will give 100%. And so this morning, maybe the best thing I can do is to offer a call to worship. Not a call to sing more songs, though we will do that. Not a call to more church attendance or to listen to more sermons, but a call to a genuine heart of worship that day in and day out, through every opportunity, we have the ability and the privilege of connecting with God and giving our very best to Him. This is our true and proper worship. Let's pray.
Father God, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for what you have done for us. For the blessings that we have received over and over again. Day in and day out. Even the things that we don't even stop and think about. The ways that you have blessed us. God, we thank you. We view it as evidence of your love for us. But God, we also recognize that sometimes in response to that love, we can try to take the convenient way out, and the easy way out, to offer less than our best. And God, in those moments, I just pray that you would remind us of Jesus, what he endured on our behalf, and that when it came to you sacrificing something for us, you gave us your very best, your son. So God, please remind us and empower us through your spirit to live lives of conviction and worship and sacrificing everything we have to who you are and what you've done and what you call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name.